If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The book of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and this is in the uh, hymnal Bibles, it's on page 1011. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Now last week, we've been, we, when the year started, we started talking about the will of God and, and how to discern the will of God, and sometimes it's, it's difficult, sometimes it's, it's gray, but basically we know the will of God in a large context, that is living for him each day, following him each day, and then we got into uh, prayer, and then last week we got into um, that God will give strength in the midst of adversity. We looked at uh, Isaiah 40, 31. And we also talked about that God will guide our steps and that we were to follow him. And the, the synopsis of last week's sermon was obedience. Obedience to God. Knowing that God will give us strength in the midst of whatever we're going through. That we'll rise up on eagle's wings. He will carry us. Uh, and we, as a response to that, are obedient. Now, a natural follow-up to this is that when you live an obedient life, when you are following God and Christ in this world, with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that will inevitably, inevitably lead to problems. The fact is that I know that all of y'all know this. The world does not like us. So as we follow him and seek to do his will in this world, it becomes problematic. Now, the book of James uh, was, was written by, by James. It was written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. It's a Jewish book. And when you read it, you get this Old Testament feeling to it. And, and, and there's, there's a good reason. Um, some view the book of James wrongly. They say James is saying faith plus works equals salvation. That's to miss the mark. Uh, Martin Luther, the great Reformed theologian, said it was a right strawry epistle. That means it was difficult to reconcile how we are, in Paul's language, to live a life of faith. But in James' language, it seems to suggest faith plus works equals salvation. Let me give you a better translation. A more accurate translation. A better understanding of the book of James is a working faith. That is, you say you have faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works. So it is a faith that works. Uh, James is not saying faith plus works equals salvation. He's talking about a working faith. That is, you have to actually use your faith and you have to put it into practice. And James does not waste any time he does not waste any time by saying, okay, this faith is going to encounter something. And what we're going to deal with today is trials, stuff that comes to us as we live our Christian lives. So the first thing we're going to learn is we face trials with joy. Oh, boy. Um, he says it here, count it all joy. Hey, geomai is the word for count. 
And it means literally to get a perspective. So the word count means to get a perspective. It means to refocus. It means to look at something from a different point of view. I know when we come into trials, the first thing that happens to us is, I don't like this, right? And that happens to a lot of us. Even myself, it happens as we live our Christian lives. But James wants us to count it here. He wants us to take a different perspective. If I were to show you this, and you look down here, you see four ends, right? But if you look at it this way, you see three. You, you, have, a, you have a different perspective on each end. And if you look at it long enough, it, it becomes apparent that this is four, this is three, and you're looking at it from a different angle. And that's exactly what James wants us to do when it comes to trials, is to begin refocusing. If we were to say that this is the worldly way to look at trials, we go, oh my gosh, it's too big. But if we start looking at the spiritual end, and start looking at what is behind this trial, what is underneath this trial, it, 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 it changes the way that we view our trials. And he says, count it all joy. The word all is the word for pos. It's a, the Greek word pos. It means each and every. In light of the context, James is saying that you look at each situation with a different perspective than the way you normally do. So we have to begin looking at trials in a different way. And then he adds the words joy, kara, which means reason for gladness. So when we're talking about these trials that come upon us, and we begin looking at them from a different vantage point, and we're not just talking about a few trials. James says all. That means every possible situation that comes into our lives, we're to look at from a different vantage point. I think this, if you really listen and, 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 and really pay attention here, I, I think it will give us a better basis when we go outside these church doors when we're dealing with the world, when, when we're dealing with situations and circumstances that come in. Dr. Kurt Richardson, um, I think he's right here. James encourages them to embrace their trials, not for what they were, but for what God could accomplish through them. Again, the shift here, and, and Dr. Richardson's right, the shift is that, yeah, trials are difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Trials are difficult. I've got trials going on right now in my own life. They're not easy. But you, you, we have to begin looking at a different angle and go, okay, so what is God trying to do? So I can be joyful in the fact that God is at work, and at the same time acknowledging, Lord, this is difficult. But I do know ultimately that this, is, that this has come upon me by, e by your designed plan for my life. There's not a trial. I want you to realize there's not a trial that you face that is not ordained by God. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God. So it, when you're following him and you get a situation, just kind of go, okay, don't look at the surface situation. Get joy from the fact that, okay, God's trying to teach me something here. That means that my God loves me. That's a, that's a, that, that's a major shift, if you will, in the way. So I, I, I would say this, and maybe write this down. Stop looking at the negative side of trials. Stop looking at the negative side of trials. It's okay to acknowledge that it's negative, but you don't live there. 
That's not how God wants us to be. He, he doesn't want us to see trials as negative. Secondly, see the hand of God. See the hand of God in the midst of the trial. And know that even in the midst of the trial, guess who's always with you? Christ. Always. Write that down. Note it. Because when you're looking at it, you look at that trial, it comes upon you, you go, I don't like it, Lord, but I do know that you're doing something in my life. And a third thing, rejoice knowing that God is at work. I think it's, I just think it, I think it would help all of us if we, if we were to look at our attitude, because really this is about our attitude, right? A trial comes upon you, you have two ways to react to it. I'm not saying disregard the fact that, yeah, this thing hurts. But it go, you have to, you have to kind of move back and you have to go, okay, I'm going to take joy in the fact that God is doing something here, which he is, which he is. All right. And a lot of, a lot of scholars write stuff on this and I go, no, that's not, that's not right. Particularly when we get down to the second part of the sermon, uh, we have a tendency to think that, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you when we, when we get there. So you have to stay awake. So, all right. Then we look at the reality, the reality, count it all joy Look at it differently, each and every circumstance that God is at work. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Peripitu. Peripitu is the word meet. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean to walk up and greet. That's not what it, that's not what it means. I'll, I'll give you exactly what it, what it means. To experience something. More importantly, the word means... When you fall into a hole, and that's what trials do. You're walking along, you're following. I hope I don't break my leg doing this, and if you do, call an ambulance. But you fall into a hole. That's what you meet. You meet something that is difficult. James is not, not, not saying this isn't going to be easy. He's admitting that this is going to be difficult. So when you meet as you're walking and following him and you hit in a hole, something's happening. Something's happening. It's not that, it's not that God is messing with you. It's, it's not that um, you could possibly have done something wrong, although there are times when we do things wrong that we meet trials of various kinds because of our own circumstance. But what if you've got a person that's following God and all of a sudden they fall in a hole? I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you get more trials coming at you, you're probably living for God. It just seems that Satan does not like it when you are living for him. So, the word trials here, when you meet trials, perirosmos, perirosmos means to test something. Oh, wait a minute, I thought a trial was something that was difficult. Well, it is, but the word means to test, to examine, to learn the true nature of something. Scientists, when they're looking... Um, to determine the elements of a virus or something like that, they will look through a microscope and they will look at every aspect of that virus. And then they, they will begin charting a, court where, a course where they can maybe make an antidote to that. But the, the issue here is that those trials, is a, the trials that you and I face are moments where something is being examined. 
So you're in the hole, and now there's an examination taking place. A third thing that he says here is that these trials are various kinds. You say it this way. They're multicolored. They're diverse. Huikilas. And it means diverse kinds or different kinds of trials. Let me stop here and say this. The examination is of you and me. The examination, so when you see a trial, think of it as a test. That's the reality of trials. It is a test. Now, pastoral mindset, pastoral theology. There are many kinds of trials. James doesn't say that there's one size. Uh, he says that there's a multitude of trials. We have physical trials, maybe a surgery, an illness, a pain, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's a physical issue that's going on, and it can produce a trial in your life. There's also spiritual trials. What about questioning your faith? I thought I had this down, Lord, but I'm really questioning you. Oh, Lord, why have you allowed this to come up on me? Right? King David knew a lot about that. Backsliding. Sometimes <laughs> uh, when, when you backslide, you be, you become, it, it becomes problematic. Or maybe dullness. Maybe the trial is dullness. Have you ever had those moments in your spiritual life? You don't hear God. You don't hear the Holy Spirit. You just sense that you're, that you're floating along. That could be a trial. I have a solution for that, but it's for a later sermon. Sometimes the, the trials are emotional. I've been saying that a lot. That's for a later day. That's for the next. Um, emotional. Sometimes fear, worry, anger, sadness. These are trials that we face. Sometimes those are chemical, sometimes those are spiritual, which, as you can see, some of these mesh together. Sometimes fear can be a, a spiritual issue. Then there are circumstantial trials. That's situations in life. Again, situations in life causing you to worry. You see how all this kind of meshes together. But the, around the word trials, a test. Situations in life, relationships that have gone bad, work, tough spots, trouble, all of these types of things come against us. There's a myriad of ways in which we can experience trials. It's not just one size fits all. It is the fact that we will encounter trials as we live the Christian life. Now let me say this. Why in the world would God allow us to experience trials. When you get saved, when you get saved, at least when I got saved, I felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulder. And it wasn't too far down the road that I realized people weren't happy with that. And I started getting kickback. Here's one quick answer to that issue. Did Jesus suffer? Yes, he did. Part of hardships and trials is to identify with the one who redeemed us. Jesus said it this way, pick up your cross and follow me. That doesn't suggest an easy cruise life. 
to sit down in John 3.16 and nothing's going to hit me. Right? It means that we pick up our cross and follow him. So I want you to understand. But then again, when trials come, get the perspective that God is doing something. And I'm going to be joyful, not in the trial, but I'm going to be joyful in the fact that God is doing something in my life. What it is, you won't, sometimes you won't know for a little while. But I am telling you as your pastor, when you are going through a difficulty or hardship in your life, God is at work. Please get that today. God is at work. No matter what it is in your life, he is at work. And what he is at work doing is producing endurance. He is, in, he is producing endurance. Now we look at the test. I kind of alluded to this earlier. Now I want to fly it through. Now you notice the word for. That's, that's explanatory from verse 2. So these, these trials that come along, we're walking, we, we fall into the hole. Something's being examined, which the something is us. Um, there's, a, there's a reason that God allows these. Now I want you to listen. For you know that the testing of your faith. You see that? The hole in the road is there to see what you believe about God. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now let's break this down. The word know is ginosko, which means to have knowledge of something. But it's not book knowledge. Let me, <laughs> um, when I was in Bible college, seminary, even in a doctorate program because my doctorate's in preaching. Um, when, when I first started out, Dr. Leroy Benefield taught us exegesis, which was you study a passage of scripture, he wanted three pages. It had to be three pages. And I, sometimes I had to make stuff up to make fit three pages. But it was three pages of notes. I, we, would, we would turn, he would give us a text. He says, for the next class period, I want you to have this text and exegesis and put it out. And then I'm going to have you say what you found in class. So you learn the exegesis. And then the next step is once you've learned the exegesis, you learn how to outline the sermon. What is the main theme? What is the dominant theme? So you learn that. And then you learn um, how to structure the sermon. Do you want it inductive? Do you want it deductive? Do you want it, uh, you want a narrative sermon? Whatever it is. Then, then you write the sermon out. Or at least as I do now, I write it down. And you can, you can see I put, um, I put pretty little colors all over my paper. These are all transition points. But the thing is, and I remember Dr. Windsor's class, when we, the, or not theology, but Preaching 101 dealt with more of the formation of the sermon. The, uh, preaching 102 dealt with preaching. You needed Preaching 101 to learn how to, to for the foundation, so that you could get to, and I remember... <laughs> Nobody in class. I mean, we're all preachers, right? We're, we're, we're learning to be preachers. We, we, we turn our sermons into Dr. Windsor. And then Dr. Windsor would say this. Okay, Mike, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday when we meet, you're going to preach that sermon. Right? It's one thing to know the sermon. It is quite another thing to preach the sermon. And particularly with people that have more knowledge than the average person. 
including the professor. And I remember Dr. Wenzer told us, <laughs> this is a funny story, um, he told us, okay, so I cheated a little bit. I had turned my paper in. Dr. Wenzer told us, under no circumstances can you make notes in your Bible or can you read the notes that you have? You have to have it memorized. So what did I do? Wrote as small as I could on the inside of my, because I didn't want to mess it up. So I get up to preach, and I'm nervous. It was the first time I actually preached in a, in a class. So I'm nervous, and I'm starting to preach, and all of a sudden, this eraser flies over my head and hits the back. And I look at Dr. Windsor. He said, you're reading notes. I was like, how did he know that? So I had to, the next, the next time the class met, I had to get up, I had to show him. There's no notes. <laughs> it's just me and preach. It's very different. It's very different. It's one thing to write the sermon, quite another thing to deliver the sermon. And it's the same way with Christian life. We may know trials, but it's another thing when we're in the trial, right? And that's exactly uh, James' point here. Um, it's, it's not just that you know about it, but that you experience it. And then he says, for you know that the testing, dokimion, dokimion, and that word means to determine the genuineness of something. A jeweler. You take him, this was a family heirloom, and you take it to the jeweler. He can examine that jewelry and he can tell you the value what it's worth you take a diamond and the jeweler can look at it and look at all the cuts and he can go this is fake brothers and sisters that's exactly what God is doing to us when we are in the trial he is examining because you notice what he says here he says the testing of your faith and mine. So when we're in that trial, Pistis is to believe or to trust. When we are in a trial and how we respond to that trial is a direct correlation to what we believe about God. So if we're in a trial and we're in there and we're going, no, and we're shaking our fist and we're kicking and we're fighting, then God goes, wow, he doesn't trust me or she doesn't trust me enough to take care of the situation. That is a fail. That is a fail. So God is able to look at our faith and he examines the faith to see where we are in our relationship with him. Have you ever met young believers, and many of you may be ma more mature believers, you, you get a believer and um, you look at their trial and you go, that's not a severe trial, but the individual is just locked down by it. That reveals the level of faith that they have in God. And it takes time. It really takes time. How we respond to the trial is a direct correlation to what we believe about God. Because ultimately, I'll give you the secret. The secret is to trust God at all times in every trial. 
See, the light just came on. Your faith and my faith in the midst of the trial is being examined by God. It's not that God put it there to mess with you. Uh, if, if you're in that hole, then you have a response to him. It's not a response to the trial. It's really an examination of your faith to see what you believe about God. That's the key. That's the key. And if we're in the hole, so to speak, if we're in the hole and the trial is a burden, the first person that we should run to is Abba Father and say, God, this is a big burden. And what God sees then is he sees a person that he wants to help draw closer to himself. Trials are almost always have to do with something in our relationship to God. Just think of it that way. Um, ultimately, this will produce steadfastness or endurance. Being able to endure and bear things. Again, when I was a young believer, the simplest little trials would knock me off. And I'm afraid to say this, but as I've gotten older, I've learned more how to cope. Not perfectly, but I've learned more how to cope in trusting God to take care of the situation. Now, having said that, probably tomorrow I'm going to be in a hole somewhere, and he's going to say, okay, pastor, let's live this sermon out now. Um, but I'm not saying I, I pass them all, but I learn from them all. I call those benchmark moments. When a, a time when God has delivered you out of something. And again, it's, let's kind of review. We look at the trial differently. Yes, the trial hurts, but now we're going to turn our attention to what God is doing. When I'm in the midst of the trial, then I know that, wait a minute, there's a purpose to this trial. Um, I don't know if I can say this, but I was... Uh, ministering to a woman the other day at, at the hospital no names um, but I, we, we were having a conversation and all of a sudden she bursted out into tears I gave her a tissue and we started talking about things and the issue was why was God allowing this I gave her some responses and then I prayed with her and I left I know, please don't leave here thinking that Pastor Mike said trials are, 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 don't hurt. Trials do hurt. You know it, don't you? You know it. But sometimes we get bogged down in the hurt rather than to see what God is doing in the trial. Because ultimately, he's dealing with something inside of you that needs to be fixed or changed and me. I'm not, not excluding me from this conversation at all. Thomas Lay says this, this does not suggest that we should seek out trials. I don't seek out trials, trust me. <laughs> Nor are we to pretend that enduring trials is pleasant. Oh boy, I love this. They cause pain and difficulty. Let's acknowledge that. Trials do cause pain and difficulty. Let's, let's acknowledge that. I think it's a good point to acknowledge it and then say but. Right? Still, 
We should look at trials as an occasion for joy because of the potential for producing something good in us. There's that shift. And Thomas Lay is right. There's, there's that shift. Okay, yes, it hurts, but there's God. God is doing something. Trust me, God, wherever you are today on, on the spectrum of trials and, 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 and wherever it is, get off the hurt wagon and get on the healing wagon. The healing wagon is to know that God has got this. He's with me and he is there with me and I'm not going to focus on the negative. I think I wrote it down. Get off the negative, get on the positive side. Because I'm going to tell you, if you get negative and negative and negative and negative, you will just stagnate. You will stagnate. And guess who's smiling and happy about that? Satan. Don't let the devil get a foothold on your faith. Again, I want to say this again, three, this third time. Trials hurt. But we cannot live there. We want to shift and refuse to live there. Just sit. I'm not trying to be like a faith healer, but I'm just telling you that you cannot live where it hurts all the time. You become a miserable person. You have to understand that God has put this there for our benefit. And the quicker that you learn that, the quicker you will get out of the hole. Sometimes in my life, in my life, I've only got one life, not lives. But sometimes I'll walk into a hole and I'll start crawling out of it on my own. Just to find out that I'm back in the same hole again. Where did that thing come from? Well, it came there because God's trying to refine something in your character, in your heart. Please, don't live on the negative side. Get on the positive side of these trials. Get ahead of it so that God can work through. Well, and then he goes on that they produce endurance and the testing is to help something inside of you that needs to be stronger so that you can withstand greater events down the road. And that will eventually lead to maturity. Notice. And let steadfastness have its full effect. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. You know, you read that and you go, steadfastness, that means the ability to continue. And, and, and have its full effect, you're thinking, okay, Lord, you just lay it on me. That's not what that word means. That's the Greek word ergon. And the, work, uh, the Greek word ergon is the word for workmanship. Think of it this way. You remember how the Bible says the renewing of your mind, you may be transformed into the image of Christ. This word, ergon, to let it have its full effect. I want, you, I want you to remember this. That when you're in the hole, God is shaping a workmanship. To have its full effect means that God is shaping you. Um, this is the Mona Lisa, 1503, by Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Audrey and I have actually been to, some call it the Louvre, and it's not the Louvre, it's the Louvre in France. And we have stood, we have, it's not, I know people call it the Louvre, and I'm like, it's not the Louvre, it's Louvre. So we have stood right here, and we have looked at the Mona Lisa, 
1503 by Leonardo da Vinci. It is considered the masterpiece. Estimates of its value range from 68 million to 2.7 billion dollars. It is a masterpiece. It took him months to create it, but ultimately he created it and look at what it's done in the world. It is a living testament to a work that was done by an artist. And I'm going to tell you, you are a masterpiece being created by the master. And you are the one being shaped and formed into the image of his son. No matter how long you're in that hole. No matter how many obstacles come against you. Just know this. I think just knowing this helps us get through the trial. It's that God is shaping me. This trial is such of a magnitude that God wants to, to define and, and refine who I am in Christ. And that ultimately the ergon, the full effect, is that God is at work shaping you to look like his son. And that is one of the greatest purposes of trials. It is one of the main focuses of the trials that we encounter in our lives. So if we try to crawl out of the hole ourselves, we're not getting shaped. And eventually I would say you'll get right back in the same hole somewhere else. I don't know where I am on a scale. I, I'm not going to tell you. I believe I'm mature, but not as mature as I want to be. James closes verse 4 like this. That you may be perfect, incomplete, lacking nothing. That's the maturity level. Perfect, and complete, lacking nothing. Please write these down. The goal of trials, the goal of trials is number one, perfect, which means mature and adult. That word perfect does not mean sinless. It doesn't mean uh, spiritual perfection. It just means that you've grown to a level of maturity. literally what that word means and I don't know where you're on the scale and I don't know where I'm on the scale I do believe I'm mature I do believe I'm an adult but I'm still not there <laughs> because you're not perfect complete whole until you're in heaven with Jesus but it does mean perfect in the sense of being mature so that the little trial looks like a little trial and not a massive hole when I look back over my Christian life, I go, wow. Hindsight really is 2020. Because you can get through a trial, and somewhere down the road you go, oh, yeah. That was back over here. I remember that. Then you're able to walk over, because we don't live in isolation, you're able to help somebody else that's in that hole. It's part of the shaping process. Secondly, complete, fully developed. Fully developed. Let steadfastness, let God have his full air gone, his full workmanship, so that I can be an adult, fully developed. You see how this is going? This is in a sense of arriving. I believe the Apostle Paul 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the faith. I have kept the course. He fought it straight through. Number three, lack nothing. That means possessing everything or not falling short. 